0: It was Robert Schindler, a close associate of Charles Spurgeon, who wrote, "'It is all too plainly apparent. Men are willing to forego the old for the sake of the new, but commonly it is found in theology that that which is true is not new, and that which is new is not true.'" Studying church history gives believers a perspective that is both deeply encouraging and thoroughly helpful in these challenging days for the church. Well, that's a message that is close to the heart of our founder. And we'll explore it together on this edition of The Truth Forum with David Parsons. Our guest today is Dr. Nathan Buznitz. Dr. Buznitz teaches historical theology at the Master's Seminary in Sun Valley, California. And you can find his insightful writings on church history and other important topics at thecripplegate.com and tms.edu. Now let's join Truth Remains founder David Parsons along with Dr. Nathan Buznitz as we consider the priority of knowing church history.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Truth Forum. I'm Dave Parsons, thank you for joining us. Truth Remains is a ministry that teaches the history of the church. But why should anybody study church history? Is it really that important? Well, that's what we're talking about today. Why study church history and how is it relevant for our daily lives as believers? It's a good question, and I can't think of anyone I'd rather talk to about this than Dr. Nathan Busnitz from the Master Seminary. Welcome, Nathan.
2: Well, thank you, Dave. It's a joy to be here today, and I just should say at the beginning, I'm so grateful for the Ministry of Truth Remains and also for the Truth Forum. For the fact that your ministry is taking church history and making it accessible to churches and to Christians across the country and around the world. So, if I were an incoming student in one of your
1: classes at the Master Seminary, what's the first thing you might impart to me about the importance of why I should study church history?
2: And why is it relevant to my life? Yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes the guys who come into my class, my church history class, they they think that the class is going to be boring because of the experiences that they've had in the past studying history. But what they don't realize is that a love for church history is not about loving history so much. It's about loving the church. We generally love the history of the things that we love. And what I like to tell the guys in my classes is, listen, if you love the church, you will love church history because when we study the history of the church we're not merely studying people places and events that happened a long time ago we're studying the history of the Bride of Christ and as believers we're part of that bride so when we study church history we come to see who we are and and where we come from and how we fit into God's kingdom work in this world and in that sense we're studying our family tree and that's just a fascinating enterprise You know, another thing, a love for church history is is especially important, I think, in an independent church context because it demonstrates the fact that even though your local church may be very young, the universal church, of which your local church is a small part, enjoys a rich and ancient heritage. And the sad reality is that most American evangelicals really know very little about the history of Christianity, even in Reformed circles. A knowledge of church history usually only goes back to the Reformation. And that's what makes teaching church history so fun, is because I have the opportunity to take these students and introduce them to all 2,000 years of what God has been doing through the church in this world. And it's just such a rich, rich study. And the church today, I believe, has a great deal to learn from the early church and of course from the reformers and the generations since. And in all honesty, Dave, I think we do ourselves a great disservice if we simply choose to remain ignorant. I really like what you said earlier,
1: and this is such a true statement and it's true about any subject with any person, that we really love the history of the things that we love whatever that is, my personal experience has been that studying church history stokes my love for God's word and my love for the church. Talk about that correlation. How does knowing our history help
2: strengthen the church and our love for the scriptures? Dave, that's a great question because the reality is that sometimes people think that scripture and church history are somehow in competition with one another And I have found actually the very opposite to be true. A love for church history does not represent a challenge or a competition to a love for scripture. Rather, my own experience, the more I've studied the history of the church, the the more I've grown in my appreciation for the power and the authority of the word of God. And the reason why is because I've seen that power vividly illustrated in the testimonies of generations of believers and I've also seen the negative consequences of what happens to the church when they abandon the true compass, the compass of the Word of God. Scripture alone, of course, is the authority for all we believe and all we do. And history then provides a wonderful affirmation and often wonderful illustrations of the truthfulness of that foundational principle. Also, we find in church history examples of men and women who loved the Word of God, and were willing to make great sacrifices for the Word of God, and who preached the Word of God faithfully, and all of that motivates our own faithfulness, our own witness, even in our lives in this modern day. Take for example the history of the English Bible, you think of John Wycliffe and William Tyndale. William Tyndale, of course, burned at the stake because of his faithfulness in translating the Word of God and then others, John Rogers, and and others who were persecuted in the history of making it possible for us in the English language to have a translation of God's word that we could read and understand. You can't study the history of the English Bible and not come away with a greater, deeper appreciation for the value of what you hold in your hand when you read God's word. So the study of church history, and that's just one small example, The study of church history has only increased and deepened my own appreciation for the wonderful treasure that we have in the Word of God.
1: Much of mainstream evangelicalism seems to be enamored with the newest, latest, most popular methods for quote, doing church, often at the expense of what is true, substantial, and lasting, namely God's Word. And you know, this is a real grief to me, and honestly, I find it to be very, very discouraging. In fact, you have to look pretty hard to see any difference from the world at many churches because scripture has been compromised uh, where it's convenient to do so. Now, I don't know about you, but in the midst of that whirlwind, I find great comfort and assurance as I study scripture and church history because I'm reminded that we have an ancient faith that is unchanging.
2: You're absolutely right. It can be kind of discouraging to look around at contemporary evangelicalism and to see all of the trends and all of the gimmicks and the fads. And uh, it it can be a little bit discouraging because many times it's just compromise and capitulation to the culture. And I I heard one evangelical scholar make the comment that church historians are, are generally pessimists because they've seen all of the gimmicks and the fads before and they've seen the disastrous way that it always ends. And the reality is if today's evangelical church was more aware of church history, I believe it wouldn't repeat so often the mistakes of the past. But I later, more recently, came across another evangelical writer who added that in reality to church historians being pessimists, he said, we're actually pessimistic optimists. And I really liked that because his point was this, when we look at just the human side of church history, It can be discouraging because men often fail us. But when we remember as Christians that God is at work in history and that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of the church, we have great reason to be optimistic and to remember that even in the midst of all of the compromise and all of the failures, that God is still at work. He has his remnant and he will accomplish his purposes for his people and for the expansion of his kingdom work, even in this age. So we talked about uh, a moment ago, the Lord Jesus promised to build his church and in church history, we see that promise fulfilled. We see it unfold. And that means that we're part of an enterprise that cannot fail. And there's a great deal of hope and comfort that comes from that realization. Not only that, but as the authority in his church We recognize that his word comes to us as his authoritative guide for the church. And church history then testifies also to the fact that God's word never fails. We're told that in Isaiah 40, verse 8, the word of our God stands forever. And in church history, we see that promise unfold as well. So in the midst of all of the discouragement that we might experience as we look around at what's happening in our own day, the study of church history reminds us of a few things. It reminds us that God is in control, that the Lord will build his church, that his word will not fail, and that he will always have his remnant who will not bow the knee to Baal. And, um, and that gives us great reason to hope and to be optimistic in the midst of the pessimism.
1: Oh my, that is a refreshing word of encouragement to us, Nathan, especially in light of all that we see going on in the American landscape, both in the culture and in evangelicalism. It's really at the heart of of Truth Remains. What we're trying to do, what we want to do, is herald as loudly and as far as we can, as God allows us, to say that God is in control, the Lord will build His church his word will not fail, and he will always have his remnant who will not bow the knee. And speaking of those who will not bow, 1 Peter 3 calls all believers to defend the faith. Talk about how church history might help us to defend the faith and share the gospel with confidence.
2: Yeah, 1 Peter 3, verse 15, is is such a wonderful reminder for every Christian that we are to be always ready to make a defense for the hope that is in us. And even the word there that Peter uses, the Greek word for defense, in English, it gives us the English word apologetics. Our our English word apologetics comes from that Greek word. And apologetics is that theological discipline that has to do with defending the faith. And I absolutely think you're right, Dave, in, in noting the fact that church history provides for us a wonderful resource when it comes to being a faithful apologist being a faithful defender of the christian faith and the reason why is because when we look back in church history we can see the way in which faithful men and women of god believers the way in which they defended the truth against ancient errors because the reality is that those ancient errors are often regurgitated such that the errors that we encounter today usually have different names, but in essence are the same as those ancient errors. Let me give you just one example. Modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Christ. Their doctrine is essentially the same as a 4th century heresy called Arianism. In the 4th century, Arius denied the deity of Christ, and he was denounced as a heretic at the Council of Nicaea. What's really interesting about that is when we look at the arguments that were used by believers to defend the deity of Christ against Arius and to denounce him as heretical, we find that they are using the same biblical passages that you and I would use when a Jehovah's Witness is standing at our front door. And so we can be encouraged by the fact that believers throughout all of church history, as they look to the Word of God, which of course is our, our authority, as they look to the Word of God, They use the word of God to defend the truth and to refute error. So knowing just a little bit of church history becomes very valuable. It quickly silences silly allegations like those that were popularized just a few years ago in the Da Vinci Code. They become a great asset when Mormons are standing at your front door or Jehovah's Witnesses, as we just talked about, or when a Roman Catholic makes a claim from church history. It's helpful to know a little bit of church history to show why that claim is false. Knowing a little church history is even helpful in defending key areas of doctrine. It can be things like understanding how the church has talked about the Trinity, which again takes us back to the Council of Nicaea and then the later Council of Constantinople. Or it can be things like understanding how the church recognized the canon in the first few centuries of church history. Again, Scripture is our final authority, and that's important to emphasize. But the church history nonetheless is instructive for us. And as a result of this, we can be emboldened in our witness to recognize that we're not the first generation that's been called to make a defense but rather we are standing in a long line of godly men and women who have been faithful to that apologetic calling in generations past.
1: That's right. We stand on some broad shoulders, don't we? And as you said, in every chapter of church history, there have been faithful believers who have fought hard. They've had a resilience, a commitment in the face of struggle for the truth. So I'm curious, and I've thought about this, How do you think church history will remember this generation of believers?
2: Yeah, Dave, that's a really interesting question. And I think it's important to realize that we are in church history right now. And even when we think about how future generations of Christians might remember us, if the Lord tarries, I think what we're recognizing is that we're part of church history. And as part of church history, we have a responsibility, just as prior generations had a responsibility, and that responsibility is to faithfully guard what has been entrusted to us and to pass it on to the next generation to protect the purity of the gospel and to pass it on so that that which we have received, we will be faithful to bestow on those who come after us. Now, whether or not we're doing a good job of that, Well, that's something that sometimes is a little bit difficult to assess in the generation in which we live. And yet I think most evangelical historians would recognize the fact that the broader church today is full of compromise. There is much capitulation. And in some ways, going back to the question that you asked me earlier, it it can lead us to be somewhat pessimistic in the way that we think about the future but ultimately we are optimistic because we know that the Lord will come and he will set all things right. In terms of how future generations will think about our generation, I think they will recognize, just like what we recognize when we look back, that there's always a faithful remnant, a remnant of those who honor the Lord and honor his word, a remnant of those who represent the true church, the invisible church, those who are unwilling to compromise or capitulate. And at the same time, I think they'll recognize that there were many areas of compromise, theological compromise, cultural compromise, people professing to be Christians who really weren't acting like Christians at all. And in that sense, we ultimately leave the judgment up to the Lord and we recognize Even as we think through the seven churches in the book of Revelation, we recognize that Christ knows what's going on in his church today and that he will judge accordingly and we can rest in his judgment. And one thing just to add on to that, Dave, as we're thinking about how future generations might remember us. I think it's important that we utilize that as a motivation for faithfulness in our own hearts. And it's not ultimately how will future generations remember us that matters. It's it's what will Christ say about us when we stand before his Bema seat. Because the reality is that ultimately his assessment is the only one that matters. And his assessment is that we be found faithful. That's what he says in Matthew 25. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And so for Christians today, the goal is the same as it has been for every generation past. I think of Hebrews chapter 11, the cloud of witnesses that are talked about there right at the beginning of Hebrews 12, pointing back to those Old Testament saints. The reason they are a cloud of witnesses for us, an example for us to emulate, is because they were found faithful. They lived by faith. They were willing to sacrifice greatly, in order to act on the promises of God. They were unmoved by the passing pleasures of this world. They did not compromise. They weren't perfect, but they were faithful. And they kept their eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of faith, as it says there in Hebrews 12. And we are to do the same. And so as we think about how future generations might remember us, I think it ultimately leads us to a a point of self-evaluation where we ask ourselves what will christ think of our ministry when we stand before him because that ultimately is the only evaluation that really matters
1: amen nathan thank you again for for being with us i'm so grateful for men like you who stand with conviction for the sake of christ and the proclamation of his gospel as we close out our time together Would you leave our listeners with a final word of encouragement in their study of church history?
2: Well, thank you, Dave, for mentioning that. It really is true that as we think back to the long line of godly men and women who have lived throughout the generations, to almost extend the principle of Hebrews chapter 11, what a great cloud of witnesses have come before us. These examples, not only of Old Testament and New Testament saints, but also believers, faithful believers throughout the history of the church. This is one of the reasons, as even at the Master Seminary, we think about training up future leaders for the next generation of church ministry, that I encourage them to make the reading of Christian biography a staple of their pastoral reading diet. Sometimes I hear students say that they, they don't really like history, but they really enjoy biography. I always find that ironic because biography is history, it is church history, it's just church history that's well-told and well-crafted and that centers on the life and impact of perhaps one individual. But when we take that as a whole and we have this great chorus of men and women whose lives echo the glory of Christ because he's the one that they were running after and, and our eyes aren't put on them, our eyes are ultimately put on him. Just as in Hebrews 11, our eyes are not to rest finally and fully on those Old Testament saints, but to rest on the one who is the author and perfecter of faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. One other thing I would just add, I think it's really important to recognize that we are part of church history. Church history is not these unrelated dates and doctrines and dead people, things that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away that that has no relevance to us. No, we're part of church history. And so when we study the history of the church, we're studying our own heritage. It's our own family tree. And as part of the current generation of church history, we have a responsibility to faithfully guard the truth and to pass it on to those who come after us. And studying church history then It helps us recognize that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. We're part of something much bigger than our own local congregation or or even the evangelical movement in America as it exists today. The, The history of Christianity spans two millennia, and we are, in the grand scheme of things then, just a momentary blip. And so I think there's a motivating aspect to studying church history, a motivation to faithfulness, and I think there's also a humbling aspect to studying church history, and both of those are extremely valuable. Not only that, but the study of church history creates in us an anticipation and an expectation for the end of church history, and the end of church history That day will come when our blessed hope appears as Paul writes in Titus chapter two, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns for his church. That's when church history ends, when all of us as the bride of Christ go to spend eternity with him. And we then as believers, like all who have come before us, we live expectantly in light of that glorious day As we look forward to one day joining all of the generations of all of those who have loved the Lord Jesus Christ and loved his appearing, we will one day celebrate with them as we worship the lamb around the throne. And in that sense, the study of church history causes us to exclaim, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly.
0: If you've been encouraged by the ministry of David Parsons and Truth Remains, Well, let me encourage you to share this podcast with a friend. And if you'd like to support the ministry financially, well, you can do that by mailing a tax-deductible donation to Truth Remains at P.O. Box 33187, Granada Hills, California, 91394. You can also make your gift by calling toll-free at 1-888-36-TRUTH or donate online at truthremains.org. For David Parsons and the Truth Remains team, I'm your host, Jim Tuck, and I'd like to wish you a blessed Christmas season as you celebrate our Savior's birth. And perhaps there's no better time of the year to share with those around you that men and philosophies come and go, but truth remains.